I'm Carrie Brett, and this is Shot at Love. This week's guest is CJ Grace. She's the author of The Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not. CJ dealt with the double whammy of discovering her husband's infidelity shortly after being diagnosed with breast cancer. She refused to be a victim and kept her wicked sense of humor. In this episode, we'll discuss why infidelity happens, overcoming emotional roller coasters, regaining self-worth, and how to take our power back so we can be happy with or without a partner. When we come back, CJ will share her laugh out loud yet profoundly inspiring story while reminding us that life is short and why we should go for what we want now. You won't want to miss it, so stay tuned. CJ Grace was a journalist at the BBC in the UK and at China Radio International in Beijing. She's currently a speaker and voiceover artist. CJ is also an infidelity author and authority who is currently completing Hotel Chemo, My Wild Ride Through Breast Cancer and Infidelity. When Ariana Huffington received a copy, she invited her to be a Huff Post contributor. CJ has been featured on the BBC Radio, Huff Post, Divorce Source Radio, and The Daily Telegraph. She's also the founder of the Clubhouse Club, Overcoming Infidelity, and a cancer warrior. CJ insists that the obstacles she's faced have enabled her to make midlife better than her younger days. Her mantra is, the best revenge is to get past the need for it. It is my great honor having CJ on the show today. And without further ado, welcome CJ Grace. Thank you. It's great to be on your show, Kerry. It's great to have you here. I'm so happy that we met. And it's so cool that you're an infidelity expert. That is, did you ever think when you were a little girl you grew up to be that? <laughs> well, you know, I didn't. I actually, you know, I don't know whether I'd call myself an infidelity expert because that sounds as if I'm going around training people how to be unfaithful. In fact, I would say I'm a bit more of an authority on infidelity I because like I've lived through it viscerally. Yes. And then I wrote a book, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not. That's the one that Ariana Huffington got the first copy of. And after that, she invited me to be a contributor to Half Post. And I spoke to a lot of different women. I did a lot of research. I did a lot of reading and found out that there are so many shades of gray in the infidelity story. It really isn't a black and white thing it's, it's at not, all. It's not. And I applaud you for saying how to overcome, successfully overcome whether you stay or whether you leave. And That's right. That is important because there's no judgment here. And until you walk in other people's shoes and you understand the pain, you understand the pain. So you wanted to make sure everyone was included within this book and this book could be helpful, whether whatever side you were on. Well, that's right, because there are some people who do stay if the person that's cheated is willing to give up the lover, then you've got a, a shot at, at it working because you can work at your relationship. But in cases where the partner is not willing to give up the girlfriend or just continues to be unfaithful, that's a much more difficult 
rude route to go because if the cheated upon partner is staying in that relationship, it's really to just get the crumbs rather than to get what they really want. Right. That does happen, but it's it's not a happy situation. No, it's definitely a rude route. <laughs> a rude route. That was a Freudian slip there, wasn't it? Totally, totally. <laughs> I'm like, we're keeping that in. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you have quite the story. And this is such an amazing idea for a book. And I know you've gotten a lot of attention because of this subject. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your backstory and your inspiration for writing this book? Well, you know, I'd been living a charmed life. I had a dream job as a journalist with the BBC. There I was meeting celebrities, politicians, fascinating people who were making their mark on the world. And I got a transfer to work for China Radio International in Beijing. And I had a fairy tale falling in love with an American I met there. And if I fast forward to our 25th wedding anniversary, that was the best one ever. We spent it in Hawaii. And I really felt like I was in the land of the gods, you know. Uh, And little did I know that just two years later, both my marriage and my health would be in in tatters because my husband was openly carrying on an affair with a woman half his age and I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. I carried the dreaded BRCA gene that Angelina Jolie had believed to be a death sentence. So that was a real double whammy that left me reeling. I really felt like the ground had been kicked away from underneath my feet and I got through it by trying to retain my sense of humor And um, by writing, you know, by I wrote my adulterer's wife book, adulterer's wife, how to thrive, whether you stay or not. And then I've got a second book that hasn't yet been published, Hotel Chemo, my wild ride through breast cancer and infidelity. And that got me through. And I worked out a sort of six part plan to to reclaim my life, to reclaim my power, to become complete again. And and that's what I did. But it, it wasn't necessarily quick or easy, but I got a I got a leg up by really going in, deciding what I needed to do and doing it and following my own six part plan. I love this. So here you are, you're in shock. You you have cancer for the second time. And you find out about your husband's affairs. And I like what you said, where at one point he offered you a part-time position, but refused to leave his mistress. Yes, I got a a part-time wife position was on offer once I found out about the infidelity. Oh, my God. And so (laughs) (laughs) you stay home. Well, you know, you could have the, the girlfriend for the passion and I could get the taxes done. (laughs) <laughs> right. So it's a win-win for him, but not a win-win for oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I did actually consider it. I mean, because it's I'm such sure. a huge shock because right. your life is collapsing, your home, your relationship. How can I salvage what's there? I, I don't want this to all go away. But after a while, I thought, no, 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 this isn't going to work for me. I, I, yeah, I'm not going to be putting up with being second fiddle to somebody else in right. the relationship. That, that's not my thing. Right. No big love for me. Sorry. Oh, wow. You talk about this moment where everything, and this was what happens a lot of times to people who they find out about an affair and everything that they know in their life is going away. That It all kind of seems to, you lose the house and... Lots of people go bankrupt, and their self-esteem is gone. And when you're sick, 
your self-esteem and your belief system is also at rock bottom. You were really smart and you tried to stay, this must be your journalism background where you decided to not let emotions dictate your decisions, which I think is so smart. And the first thing that you did was let go of any vengefulness. And you realized that holding on to anger was like swallowing poison, hoping the other person would die. And that's an extreme saying, but anger clouds your judgment. And anger can really destroy you moving forward in a healthy way. And so you decided to find a way to help yourself. And you found new friends that were separate from your marriage. And you watched funny movies. I did that as well. I used to watch the end of 40-Year-Old Virgin when Steve Carell dances to Age of Aquarius almost every night. I think that's great. You even stopped watching the news. Can you give me some other examples of how you helped yourself survive and navigate during a time of crisis, really? Yeah, because the thing that I realized was that the best revenge is to get past the need for it. That's really what you want to do. The more you get stuck into revenge, the less you're moving forward and you just are churning the negativity and that doesn't help. So there were six things that I did. The first one was to find confidants and mentors with my best interests at heart. For me, they were friends, some of whom were professional counselors. For some people, they might go out and and pay a counselor to help them through this kind of situation. But I found it helpful to have at least one who was of the opposite sex to me because you get very different insights from a, a male confidant than you do from a female confidant. That was really important um, to have people I could try to process all these emotions with, to vent my deepest, darkest thoughts in confidentiality. And people who would give me good advice, that was really important. They weren't the same as friends. It was more than a friend. It was like your breakup buddy or whatever you want to call it, but somebody who was going to really help you through and, and, and would take calls whenever you wanted to call them. I did also make a point of cultivating existing and new connections, people who were friends of my own, as you said, rather than people who were friends of my husbands or people I knew through our joint business. Because obviously when you're having marital issues, the last thing you want to do is vent to people that are in your professional circle. That is so bad. That's not going to help you move mm. forward. And uh, I didn't want to do that. So I found that I was letting go I, through the marriage. I let go of all my friends. I didn't realize that I'd done that. There was one lady who was a very dear friend of mine who thought she'd offended me because I hadn't answered her emails for a while. Mm. So I reconnected with all these people. And I ended up, for example, one of the people I reconnected with was somebody I used to work with at the BBC in London. And we ended up having a wonderful relationship together. You know, he became my significant other. So, so that was absolutely great. I, I felt like I should leave no stone unturned, talk to all my old friends, old boyfriends, and just get back into the circle. And also, I made a point of making new connections. And some of that was connected to trying to find my passion and become more of a hedonist. Because 
when I was married, I made very little time to do things I enjoyed. I was keeping my nose to the grindstone, looking after the kids, looking after the house. Thankfully, the kids were out of the house by the time I found out about the final affair. And I wasn't making any time for myself. And if you start doing things that are your passion, then you start meeting new like-minded people, whether your passion is playing the banjo or volunteering for a cause you believe in. So that's really, really important. And the other thing, another thing you mentioned was the laughter therapy. Absolutely. I was hanging out with people who made me laugh rather than brought me down and watching comedies and not depressing dramas or or things that would sort of take me out of myself. I liked sci-fi and I remember watching Guardians of the Galaxy. That was great, except for that awful scene where the protagonist's mother is dying of cancer and there she was chemo bald as I was chemo bald and I thought oh I could do without that scene that's too depressing for me but generally I was trying to to watch things that would bring me up and not bring me down and even as you said as a BBC journalist when I was always following the news I stopped following the news because it's all bad news and it just makes you feel if you're just listening to bad news, it, it really makes you feel like crap. If you're feeling like crap, you don't want stuff that's going to make you feel like crap. So I gave up watching the news. And then a couple more things I did. I wanted to love my body and become more beautiful. And of course, I'll never become a supermodel, but I wanted to get healthier and getting enough sleep, eating well, exercising outdoors. Those were key. I really found that outdoor exercise made a huge difference to my mood. And I would say maybe number one thing, if somebody's suffering from any kind of adversity and, and really having issues with depression, force yourself to go out 15 minutes a day in nature, make a huge difference. I gave that advice to a friend of mine who was having trouble getting out of bed in the morning because of what mm. was happening to her. And it really helped her move on and, and sort of get back on an even keel. Mm. The final thing was to try to become more mindful. That was probably the most difficult thing to do. But the fact is that the past is gone and the future doesn't exist. So all you have is the now. And if you're spending all your energy nostalgic about what happened in the past, regretting what you've done, well, if I'd have done it this way, then maybe he would have had the girlfriend and maybe it was because I wasn't enough in this way and that's why it happened. And, and what am I going to do in the future? And, and I'm worried and how am I going to live and where am I going to live and what am I going to live on? Those kinds of thoughts are not going to help you. You really have to put one foot forward and work at living in the present and becoming more mindful and engaged in what you're doing right now, because otherwise you really aren't living, you're just existing. And I found that that was a very important exercise to do, to try to make sure I was more mindful and more living in the present. doesn't mean you don't plan for the future, but it's not that the past and the future occupy all your thoughts. You really want to be thinking about what's in front of you. Right, right. So I love this. I think this is amazing advice for people right now because the bottom is falling out. It doesn't have to be infidelity. And people are being pushed in directions they never thought they would be in. People are suffering. Some of these problems are so big. They may have lost a relationship, lost their job, and are losing their health. The problems are so big that we can't look down the road. We literally have to take it hour by hour and, and moment by moment. And I think this is great advice for people who are struggling. And you offer amazing advice. And I wish I had this book, how to get out of this box of negative emotions that you're trapped in. Go out into nature, go volunteer, 
go into the community, do something for someone else. For me, it was, oh my gosh, I took a shower today. I actually dressed up. I look quite decent. So that way, <laughs> if you run into your ex on the street, you still look, you know, like you're holding it together. And the act of dressing up or just putting yourself together and putting on makeup. And I used to say I look like a homeless person because I was just so destroyed. And so I think all of this advice, so not only did you empower yourself during such a challenging time, but you got on a plane and you got up in front of people at Kindle and pitched your idea. I think it was in 2013. Was that when you first decided to? Well, it was in, it was in 2013 and I, that I actually wrote the book. And the thing was that I hadn't intended to do it. I was at a Kindle conference with my husband. I had found out about his infidelity. I hadn't yet found out about the second bout of breast cancer. And it was a, a conference we'd gone to, to to learn about how to put his books into Kindle. And one of the exercises was to write an outline for a book. And so it just came out. I was writing an outline about Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not. Although at that point, it, the subtitle was different. It was Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive If You Choose to Stay. Because at that point, I was still trying to get my head around, well, could I deal with this part-time wife position? <laughs> so that yeah. was the original subtitle. But anyway, I wrote the outline. And uh, you have to do an elevator pitch to the other people who were participants. And I had an amazing response. People were really interested in this book. Some guys with a sort of sheepish expression on their face said, well, I, I have some friends who, who might be interested in this book. And you thought, hmm, I think this guy is cheating on his wife. So that that kind of thing was was definitely hitting a nerve more so than 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 some of the other proposals that people at the conference were were doing. So I followed it up and the book just wrote itself in a funny kind of way. I never really intended to to write it. But as a BBC journalist, I, I was always writing. So writing came naturally to me. And what was nice was that uh, unlike what I had to do for the BBC, I was allowed to editorialize. I could swear in my writing. I could put in tons of humor and sarcasm and all of that. And, and that was that was a blast. And it was also very cathartic for me. It sort of helped me get it all out there because humor is such an important part. Um, my view is if you don't laugh, you cry because life can be pretty dark. And so you have to find the absurd humor in things, even in, in the cancer book that I'm uh, that I've uh, completed writing, but it's not yet published. In the cancer book, I have a lot of humor. I have cartoons. I just saw the humor in, in, in everything, the sort of Monty Python absurd humor that, that I'd been brought up with. Mm. And, and I think that's important because the more, if you take yourself too seriously, life can be really dreary and, and sad. You've got to, mm. you've got to laugh. You've got to be enthusiastic. You've got to move forward and, and try and see the light rather than the dark. Right. I agree. So when it comes to cheating, I know that I know a lot about it where it's never. And I heard you speak about this earlier in the podcast where you're like, well, was I enough or, and this had been going on since you were young with young children. So 
it didn't matter if you were the younger version of you. You know, people always think, okay, well, I'm aging, or maybe I'm not in the shape that I was in. It's none of that. It really is about that other person and their decisions and their free will. But we take it on. It's normal to take it on. And so once you take it on, it creates this horrible self-worth decline and you and most people stay in shame and fear so how did you instantly because this is where you're such a champion how did you instantly pull yourself out of that victim mindset and not allow yourself to stay there because I think this is some advice that could help a lot of people well one of the things that I thought about was you know one minute this man is the love of your life, the next minute he's the devil incarnate, but really he's the same flawed human being all along, somebody who you'd have had good times with because there's obviously a reason why you got married to them, and, you know, the father of your children, if you've had children. And so I felt that demonizing my ex was just going to be a, a, a very bad thing to do and it wouldn't serve me and it wouldn't serve him and that the best thing to do was to put my energy into moving forward however I chose to to do that and in some ways adversity of any kind as I had with the cancer and the infidelity adversity of any kind is a kick in the pants to change your life and move forward because if everything is sort of hunky-dory or sort of vaguely okay and, and you're just bumbling along in your relationship and you don't really have any major setbacks, it's not much of an incentive for change. But you certainly have an incentive for change when, when things go bad. And in some ways, yes, you do have post-traumatic stress, but you can get post-traumatic growth from that post-traumatic stress. And there have been quite a lot of studies about that about how people do end up in a better state, happier with their lives, because they have made changes after setbacks. Mm. Setbacks are, in some ways, it sounds very sort of trite, but they can be a real learning experience. And I'm, I have to say, obviously, when I was going through the cancer, you know, people said, well, you know, it's a lesson and this and that. I might have wanted to slap them in the face for that. But there is a truth in that. It's definitely a reason for you to evaluate your life and think, well, how do I want to live the rest of it? You know, and cancer certainly proves to you that you have an expiration date and life is short. So if you don't make it the life you want now, or at least start towards that path, when the hell are you going to do it? Right, right. I can remember people used to say to me, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And I would want to scream into an empty bag of Doritos. I just would be so mad. And Yeah, and it's, <laughs> I felt the same way. <laughs> yeah, so what do you do with all that anger? And so people stay in rage, and there are entire websites designated to stories of how exes get back. And... You told the story about one guy filled his wife's car with cement. I mean, insane. Or driving by the ex's house or stalking on Facebook or 
cutting your nose, you say something like cutting your nose off despite your face. Cutting your nose despite your face, because I've, I came across so many examples. The car example is one that the, uh, from the other direction. The, uh, I heard about a wife who was so angry about her husband's infidelity with the secretary at work that while he was at work, she sold his prized sports car for $10 on Craigslist. Oh my God. Um, and, you know, you can laugh at that, but what if you're going to get divorced and split up your assets? That sports car is part of the assets. Right. So you have actually cut your nose off to spite your face just with that one action when you think about it. And if you do get yourself into this acrimonious, revengeful fight with your partner, then you are going to have to have an expensive, acrimonious divorce. And you can give all your money to the lawyers rather than working out a way to split up what money you have. So it, it is a it it really doesn't doesn't serve you to do that. I still have a decent relationship with my ex. I am now divorced. He's not a bosom buddy, but I see absolutely no reason to get myself into a situation when I can't even talk to him on the phone about something, right. or it, it just makes no sense. And I just had to remember. Well, there were good times and bad times. I didn't agree with what he did. It didn't make me feel good. But that didn't mean that he was a demon. And it's funny because a lot of my friends were so hypocritical, a close relative who was having an affair herself at the time, married and having an affair, was very quick to demonize my husband and uh, telling me, you, 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 this is outrageous. You should divorce him right away, you know, and I mean, terrible advice. And I really needed to make those kinds of decisions, you don't want to make those kinds of decisions on, on the basis of anger and, and, and a roller coaster of emotions. Right. When I had serious decisions to make, I had to stop, breathe, try to have the emotions dissipate so that I could make decisions that were based on my own long-term best interests. Right. That's what I had to do, you know. And I would advise it to anybody going through this kind of thing. Do not make snap decisions based on your emotions. You've got to look after your own long-term best interests. So good. But the first piece of it is the shock. So you give examples in your book. Someone like takes out a whole bunch of cars, parked cars. Like they didn't even know they did that and drove away. I can remember I was really struggling and I was on my way to the doctors and I didn't realize I was speeding and I got a speeding ticket and that was the universe saying slow down control what you can control be in that moment because did I need to get a speeding ticket on top of everything else so you really have to work through it's a process and of course your friend's anger, your friend's more pissed off than you are, but you're stuck in grief or you're stuck in shock. So, right. So you really have to be the cream that rises to the top and, and take a step back and almost look at your life from an objective, like you're watching a movie. <laughs> because it's so horrific, it doesn't even feel real. I feel sorry because I know a lot of people are going through a lot right now. So now you... Your emotional well-being is just taking such a hit because you're getting hit from all sides. And now you're diagnosed for the second time with cancer. What would your advice be to women struggling with their health 
or the emotional impact of taking care, trying to take care of themselves or, or someone, someone else? Well, I would go back to my six-part plan, and I actually have a free mini ebook called Overcoming Infidelity Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions, and it actually works, the techniques in there, they work for any kind of adversity. So uh, anybody who's listening who would like to get a copy of that mini ebook, Overcoming Infidelity Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions, can do that by just going to my website, cjauthor.com is, uh, is where you'd go to get that uh, PDF, cjauthor.com. But that's one of the ways I, I, I used those tools. I used that six-part plan that I developed. Number one, finding confidants and mentors. Number two, cultivating existing and new connections. Number three, laughter therapy. Number four, loving my body and becoming beautiful by taking care of sleep, exercise, and eating okay, eat good diet. Number five, finding my passion and becoming more of a hedonist. And number six, becoming more mindful. I mean, those were things that I ended up doing. Not The order was arbitrary. You can do them in any order. But those were so critical, really critical things to do. And I would recommend anybody going through any kind of adversity to think about those things. The other thing in terms of dealing with health issues is that information is power. That's true, actually, also for divorce. But information is power. Do your research. Don't necessarily take one doctor's advice as gospel. You can always get a second opinion. And there are so many ways to do things. I did a lot of different therapies when I went through cancer. I did uh, chemo and radiation, and I did a hell of a lot of alternative therapies too. Some of my more hippie friends told me I was completely crazy to do the chemo and radiation. And some of my more straight-laced friends told me I was completely crazy to do the alternative therapy. So there you go. But you're going to have a million people offering you advice when you go through cancer. Absolutely. Everybody seems to think that they've got the cure for cancer that they have to tell you about and they get all fire and brimstone on you. And if you aren't going to take their advice, maybe you're going to die. You know, so you really have to get your gut feeling of how you want to go forward, make sure you're informed. And if you can have somebody who can help you, an advocate, a good friend, just like the mentor that I was talking about before, that's always helpful. I had a great mentor who helped me through not just the infidelity, but but the cancer stuff. And I would run by, you know, certain alternative methods and, and see what they thought, because you're going to be offered things you can do that will take up more than 24 hours a day. <laughs> so you absolutely can't do everything. And the last thing you want to do is to be totally stressed out because you've been given 50 million therapies that you should be doing when you're going through cancer to, to, to improve your mood, improve your health, this supplement, that supplement, this treatment, that treatment. You, you just go completely crazy. You cannot do it all. You have to do what your gut tells you is, is the thing that will work for you. And there's no one size fits all answer. This episode of Shot of Love is brought to you by Akal Chai Rum. Akal Chai Rum is the world's first botanical rum. Recognized by the government of Trinidad and Tobago as having the first new production process for rum in over a century. Akal Chai Rum is an officially protected trade secret. Only the second such protected process in the Caribbean since the famed Angostura bitters by Don Carlos Siegert in the 1870s. Akal Chai Rum is available in 44 U.S. states on chairum.com. Also available in the Republic of Ireland on stuffyouneed.com. Try some today. I love this. So this is really interesting to me because when I was starting over 
joining Tinder online. I was an early evolution user, so no one knew anything about it. I was also in my early 40s. All of my friends were married. All these people who had never online dated gave me the advice that I was crazy. I remember my friend Maureen, she'd be like, how many matches actually, how many people have gotten married on Tinder? Like, you need to be on match. And I'm like, well, it's new. And, and when I found love on Tinder, she said, you just knew it. I said, I liked Tinder. It was easy. It was <laughs> fast. I didn't like match. I always kind of did what I wanted. And I, and I kept people's information or thoughts at bay because I needed to survive. But in looking and searching for any information around a multi-billion dollar industry, such as online dating, I couldn't find anything. And that's why it was so important to me to start this show, to give people information that I couldn't find. I wish right. I, wish I had your book. Forget about infidelity, just starting over. This is amazing for someone who has cancer. This is amazing for someone who lost a relationship. It doesn't need to be infidelity. It's a, an amazing survival guide. And I love your six-part program. I think it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And I'll, I'll tell you, my mentor, who is a man, men cut away the storylines. They go right for, they just tell it like it is. They don't put any emotion around it. So I do think it's beneficial to find someone from the opposite sex to give you advice. This is somebody different. And I, and I find that really interesting about your story. So I want to ask you, because you are an authority around infidelity, I had no idea. How common is it? And you say in your book that infidelity is more common than alcoholism. And I, hope, I was hoping you could talk about how common infidelity is and why people keep secrets and don't talk about this important, heartbreaking subject. Yes, it is very common. It is more common amongst men than women, except that now women, the statistics seem to show that women are creeping up there, not cheating as much as men, but the gap is closing. And one of the reasons for infidelity is purely longevity. Um, the longer you live, the more opportunity you have to cheat. And now that we have ED drugs, guys can keep bonking till they kick the bucket, basically. You know, um, in the past, after a certain age, that sort of went away. Now it doesn't. And that has created a whole new market for infidelity, really. The, the other problem that is very rarely talked about is the celibate marriage. Celibate marriage is so common, especially in long-term marriages. And when you look at it, if somebody ain't getting fed at home, they're going to go for a takeout. I know so many cases, and it's both the, the it's more common that the woman goes off sex, particularly after childbirth or once she gets older or whatever. And then the man sort of left hanging out there, you know, not being able to have sex with his wife. What do you do? One problem that could be solved that a lot of women don't even know exists is that you can get a lot of scarring after childbirth so that you end up with pain from intercourse. But there are pelvic therapists, pelvic floor therapists that can get rid of scar tissue and help you get back to normal. I believe that in France, um, they provide pelvic therapy after childbirth as part of their national health service, which I think is very enlightened. 
that's something that would be very well worth doing. And a lot of women, I was in that situation. I had pain from intercourse after the birth of my second child. I love him dearly, but he had a terrible effect on my sex life. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, it took decades, actually, for me to find somebody that could fix it. I didn't think it was fixable. And I found a pelvic floor therapist who was a freaking miracle worker. That's she was awesome. amazing. Well, this is um, the knowledge. And, I mean, the power in the knowledge and, yeah, and, and sharing. Yeah. I, I yeah. love this. And you also mention in your book that there's somewhat of an old boys club around the subject of adultery. Absolutely, because it's sort of, and it is much more accepted amongst men than amongst women, um, almost as a badge of honor. So that if you look at some of the, if you go back to Victorian times and, and further back, the, the males could um, have affairs with impunity and, you know, the, the, the females might find themselves stoned to death in certain countries. So it, it was a very much a double standard, uh, very much accepted amongst guys, but not amongst women. And, and um, different countries still have very different views on, on what's acceptable and what isn't as far as adultery goes. So now people have all these opinions, but they've never walked in other people's shoes. And that's not really fair. And staying isn't a sign of weakness. And some marriages can thrive. And Absolutely. if they truly have forgiveness, because some people make a mistake, but my thoughts are if people are chronic cheaters, that's probably going to stay because it's a choice. What is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, some people are just philanderers. My ex actually told me at one time, you know, if you're not monogamous by nature, monogamy is a prison. Well, fine, but I didn't realize that that was the deal at the beginning. Right, right. You know, so there are people like that to, to, to whom um, having affairs is, is sort of normal. There are other people who just have something happen with one person once and it's brief and they really do love their partner. And in those circumstances, marriages can definitely survive. Obviously, the cheating partner has to stop cheating, but the, the person who's been cheated upon has a, a lot of work to do in terms of rebuilding forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is so important because I've seen marriages that have stayed together, but the, the wife who's been cheated upon is unable to really deeply forgive her partner. And so she's always looking over her shoulder, doesn't want the guy to do anything on his own, all of that kind of stuff. And then you really don't have a marriage, you have a purgatory, and it doesn't really serve either partner to, to do that. But as you said, if the partners are willing to work at it, and there's true forgiveness, and trust is rebuilt, you can have a relationship that's better than it was before. That's happened too. Interesting. Yeah. The hardest is the, the, the marriages that stay together when the one partner is still having an affair. And I know it's sort of common in Europe, you know, especially amongst celebrities and politicians, that there's the, the mistress. And, and, and I remember reading about uh, a funeral of a French prime minister 
uh, or French president, and both the wife and the mistress come and, and have a sort of place of honour at the funeral, and you think, oh, goodness me. God, help us <laughs> all. It's a sort of cultural difference, maybe. So, so it does happen, but um, I still do think that most women, even if they put up with it, would much rather that they didn't have to. Well, I love what you say in your book that, and I think anyone is struggling, it's something very important that you say in your book. And you say, if someone's cheated on you or suddenly left you or left you even if you're sick or, or, or if you're hurting, that this, it's important to realize that this person is not the end-all be-all and that this should be a wake-up call to reevaluate your life and reinvent yourself. And you did this. Can you expand on this? Yeah, because the best thing to do and the best way to attract a better new relationship into your life is to work at becoming more complete, creative, and joyful on your own with or without a partner so that if you're feeling that you need to have a partner to complete you, that's not what you want. If you feel you need a partner to complete you, that's a terrible burden on the other person. And that means you're needy and that means you're going to be attracting in the wrong kinds of people, not the people that are going to really serve you. The best thing to do is to use this as an opportunity to work on yourself and become just complete in yourself, to take your power back, to realize that you don't have to just be an appendage of somebody else, which is such a common story in women, especially if they're married to powerful men, for instance. Uh, you really want to be a complete person in your own right, and your main function in life should not be to serve your partner. It should be as a complement to your partner, not as a pure servant to him or her. That's great advice. CJ, you feel from your life experience that obstacles and adversity triggered a personal transformation. How has your life changed for the better? And what encouraging words can you offer someone who feels hopeless? Well, first of all, I'm in a relationship that's, that's, that's actually much better and much more even than the one I was in with my husband. I don't feel like I'm just an appendage of the person that I'm dating. And I never, ever want to be in that position ever again. Uh, when I was with my ex, I was helping him produce his books. Now I've written my own. Oh. That's way better for me. So wonderful. Um, not, I don't want to say that what he did was 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 bad. I mean, he 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 was uh, very very accomplished at what he was doing, but I wanted to be creative in my own right. I wanted to be working on my own stuff. I wanted to be producing my own material, and uh, it was wonderful. Great. I mean, I love to write, so writing was my passion, and speaking is my passion, and I was going back to my roots as a BBC broadcaster. So it was great to do that, and I didn't intend to become an authority on infidelity. That, that wasn't really what I thought. Oh, yes, my husband's cheated on me. I feel like shit, whatever you're allowed to say on this uh, broadcast. Um, Yes, I think I'm going to get out of this problem by becoming um, an authority on infidelity. No, I didn't quite think of it that way, but that's how it's evolved. I've realized that it's such a nuanced subject and people get themselves into such trouble with it, uh, especially in the United States. <laughs> it, it just, it, it, it's something that, that a lot of people can never move forward. So many people end up being in relationships 
where their partner was unfaithful. And they never, ever have another relationship, especially if they're middle-aged. I've seen that. And that is sad. That's That's really, really sad because I want to see that as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to become true to yourself and live your authentic life. And it's doable. It really is doable. I hope that my book helps people to see that. And it's it's sad that uh, people get stuck in the revenge cycle because the revenge cycle, the blame cycle, you never, ever can get out of what's happening. Mm. I mean, to use a sort of religious analogy, Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what he's supposed to have said on the cross, okay? And the Dalai Lama is asking the people to forgive the Chinese for what they've done to the Tibetan people. Now, here are people who have really suffered all of these. If you look at Jesus and the Dalai Lama and the Tibetan people and all of that. Now, if those people are saying you should forgive, when all your husband has done is been unfaithful, you really should forgive. That's my view. Because on on a world scale of things, being unfaithful, although it's pretty horrible for the person that's been cheated upon, isn't that bad compared to what other people have had to go through. And and one of the things that that I realized as I was writing my book and talking to both of these books, both the Adulterer's Wife book that's already published and Hotel Chemo that hasn't been published yet, but both of them, I, I spoke to a lot of people, I got a lot of stories and anecdotes. I was so grateful that I had the husband that I did have because some of the stories I heard and some of the situations that I heard people were in were so much worse than mine wow. and they managed to get through it. Yeah. I mean, you, can, you cannot imagine how, how some of the stories were, were just, were just appalling. You know, um, I'll give you one of the most devastating examples. Uh, a woman I met who her husband had betrayed her by molesting their own daughter. Oh God. By molesting their own daughter, which he was denying and she even ended up being thrown into a, a the, the the wife ended up in a mental mental institution for a, a while. The husband got her committed because he didn't want to admit that he'd done what he'd done. And she eventually got herself out of that situation. But if I compare my circumstances to that, and this woman, you know, was getting, she got herself out of it. She ended up with a pot, positive attitude, moved forward, moved on and all of that. So, you know, however bad your circumstances are, be grateful because they could always be so much worse. It's so true. It's so true. And I'm sorry that you had to go through all that pain. But thankfully for all of us, we have your book and we have this amazing interview conversation today. And I just want to ask you one last question. One of my favorite quotes is, I survived everything I didn't think I would. And when I see this quote, I think of you, CJ. And you've survived breast cancer, infidelity, divorce. What did you learn about yourself in your darkest hour? Or have you surprised yourself by what you've overcome? I think I've surprised myself because I didn't have the confidence in my own abilities when I was married. I didn't feel that I was particularly important or valuable, I suppose. And when all of this happened, although it was a temporary blow to my self-esteem, it was not a permanent one because I worked at becoming, as I said, becoming a more complete, creative and joyful person that did not need a partner to feel that way. I love that. 
That is so amazing. This is a, a greatest hits episode, honestly. I heard you speak on Clubhouse, and I knew I had to have you on, on Shot at Love, and I'm so grateful that you gave your time today, and you're such an inspiration, and you truly bring nothing but hope and joy. Where can people find out more about your upcoming book or follow you on social media? CJ Grace is my clubhouse handle. CJ Grace Author is my Instagram handle. CJAuthor.com. CJAuthor.com will get you straight through to the page where you can get hold of my free ebook, Overcoming Infidelity Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions. And if you'd like to buy my book, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not, you can find out how to buy it on that page as well. It's available on Amazon uh, as an ebook, and it's also available in print through my website. So that's it. Just just go to cjauthor.com and you'll find me. Wow. Definitely get the book, get the free tools to overcome the emotional roller coaster. That's such a great gift. And follow on Clubhouse and Instagram. I think you're right. And I, oh, I forgot to mention, I do have a Clubhouse Club, Overcoming Infidelity. So you can join that Clubhouse Club. And I do presentations roughly about once a week on, on that. And I do participate in other people's rooms on various relationship um, topics. Great. Well, I'm going to have you do, I'd love to have you do a Q&A in my Shot at Love room on Clubhouse in the future. Love to. You would be fabulous. So thanks again for being here today, CJ. Uh, it was a great time. Thanks. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thanks. And now for this week's dating tips. And in honor of our guest, CJ Grace, these tips are inspired by her. Number one, if you get a gut feeling that something isn't right about someone or a situation, trust it. Number two, cheating is a choice, not a mistake. Number three, if another woman steals your man, there's no better revenge than letting her keep him. Real men can't be stolen. Number four, remember CJ Grace's mantra, the best revenge is to get past the need for it. I hope you found some of my tips helpful this week. This is what Shot at Love is here for, to help you find love. Keep up the commitment to yourself and commit to helping someone else by sharing this podcast. Remember to stay safe and stay tuned for more episodes. If you like this show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. I'm Carrie Brett, and we'll see you next time.